The following podcast is rated M for mature language, themes, and content. Listener discretion is advised. And it's also rated S for spoilers. Lots and lots of spoilers. In a world of cable cutting and video on demand, one streaming service offers a ray of hope to humankind. From the heights of science fiction, fantasy, and animation, to the depths of reality TV and everything in between. We're looking at you, rom-coms. Netflix originals deliver the content you crave, but are they good? We're about to find out. This is Netflix and Podcast. Yeah, I get I get those all the time. It's just like they're really well written, but it's like copy-paste. Right. Like this no. isn't you're not you're not a real this isn't a real thing. Like you no. send this to everybody. I'm not interested in communicating with you. No, the ones that sure. I hate the most are where they're like, I made this like special video for you. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to, I'm not going to open some video file of you like yeah. doing anything. I don't, weird. No. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> some weird stuff. We don't want to get into it. Um, <laughs> so Tiger King episode six, this was a full-on Joe Exotic experience. We've kind of completely dropped any pretense of Doc Antle or animal rights, really. It's just Joe further further unraveling, just going farther and farther down this hole. And it seems like Jeff and his cronies are happy to grease the chute, if you will, for Joe to just completely, I don't know, go to jail, I guess is <laughs> the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of a, I don't know, it was an interesting episode. I think that you can kind of just see Joe getting to his wit's end here and really just sort of ultimately giving up to get away and wanting to burn it all down and cover his ass as much as he can. And too bad it didn't work. It uh, was too late for that. Yeah, I really liked how this episode was set up I, I like the fact that we we get the Joe is gone. We're not quite sure why, and then it relieve you know reveals it as the episode goes on. I like that. I found that very entertaining. I think they did a great job with how they laid out this piece of the story. It brought a lot of everything together because then you kind of figure out, oh, okay, well this is how the FBI even got involved and mm-hmm. this was, you know what I mean? So it really brings all the pieces together, especially for someone like myself who loves true crime. I really liked how this particular episode was presented to us. It was very entertaining and I, I really enjoyed it. So, And we had some of those calls from Joe Schrabbogle in prison like way, way, way back to the beginning of the series, you know, Mm -hmm. so they never really explained any of that. But like you said, this is how we're actually starting to piece some of those things together. Like, oh, why is he in jail in the first place? Like, what did Jeff Lowe have to do with it? How did, how far did things go with Carol? And when did the jokes about killing her actually turn into a legitimate murder plot? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree with, uh, with you, Joy, on that. Like it was... Finally, it was a nice payoff to like find out how everything played out because yeah, throughout the entire series from episode one, uh, you know he's in jail because they're you know intercutting his interviews for the original documentary to you know his collect phone calls from you know Joe Exotic 
and yeah, it's it's always nice to see what like the the crime busting aspect was kind of thing and how intricate it got and you know there were certain roadblocks because they couldn't prove that any mm-hmm. money or compensation changed hands so they kind of had to give up and start from square one but they didn't walk away completely you know they just kind of pursued it a little bit more intensely from a different angle the feds did anyway which is also an example of how most of us think that i think most of us think you can get arrested a lot more easily than you can you know what i mean like i think we just think that if you go around threatening to kill people yeah you'll get arrested well actually not necessarily it has to be a legitimate threat well what makes it a legitimate threat money has to change hands um steps need to be made an actual person needs to be hired to do the job it's it's crazy i guess to realize what that threshold actually is when most of us think that it's probably at least i did a lot lower like I would never go around threatening to kill people, but clearly Joe Exotic had no problem with that because on some level, at least he knew it was protected speech. That's free speech. You can say that stuff. And even when they had him on, on tape saying this stuff to a, to an agent who was undercover, that still wasn't enough because money didn't change hands. So it's like, I think this episode was also an interesting insight into the, criminal justice system and what it takes to actually prosecute somebody and what it took, you know, how far did Joe have to go? How many people basically had a rat on him? How many complaints and how much effort Howard and Carol had to put into it to finally be taken seriously? There's some kind of crazy unanswered questions about some of the stuff that was happening with her and and everything. So yeah, uh, let's get into it. I'm Dr. T. I'm here with my co-hosts, Joy and Seamus. Thank you, as always, for joining us here at Netflix and Podcast, the show where we talk about Netflix originals and only Netflix originals, examining them through the lens of storytelling, psychology, sociology, visual effects, and when it's all said and done, we give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Today's episode of Tiger King Murder, Mayhem, and Madness is episode six, The Noble Thing to Do, which is described as... James Gerritsen makes a shocking claim about Joe, leading to FBI involvement. Desperation sets in for Joe, who thinks Jeff and James have set him up. And obviously we start with a nice little call from Joe from the Grady County Jail, and kind of throwing Jeff Lowe under the bus a little bit and exposing his kind of shady past, if you will. Yeah, I like how they dove in and we got more of Jeff Lowe's backstory, and then it just kind of lays out exactly the person you kind of thought he was but even more intensely like uh he really was involved with some pretty uh horrific things so i think it was interesting to see that played out and i i did appreciate how you know we got the cool thing about this episode was getting like the cell phone footage or like listening into phone calls. So we really kind of felt really in craft. in the thick of it this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus like someone telling us a story. You felt like you were actually with the filmmaker in that moment that they were trying to like extract information from different people, which was cool. But uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. It, um, you find out a little bit later that uh, Jeff is actually a felon kind of thing. So it like looking back on how this introduces him into this episode where he's, you know, being released 
kind of thing with the contingent that he doesn't he's not involved in any crime kind of deal it's like well he's a violent felon kind of thing why would he be released that's my question you know just talking about the criminal justice system and how complex it is and i mean it's a good thing to protect innocent people but like this is a violent felon who was caught with endangered animals in his possession you know guns yeah yeah guns all that presumably illegally possessed guns because well if he's a felon yeah he can't you know he can't possess guns anymore so like i don't know if that's a felony like possession of a firearm if yeah you're already a felon especially if you're on probation as he seemingly was that was like a head scratcher for me kind of thing but it also jeff rinky kind of mentions a little bit that you know he might have been helping the feds get Joe just to kind of clean his own record that he's been dealing with in mm-hmm. Vegas. Right. Right. Yeah, save Explain his own tush. motivation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was also fascinating to learn that like how any of this was even discovered was an innocent, like random bank teller that was just like spreading gossip. You know, that was kind of uh, funny to learn. Like, if that per like the thing I think so then I go into like if that bank teller had never said anything, would all three of them be in jail right now? You know what I mean? Like I really or would none think, of them be in jail right or now. Or would none of them be in jail? Right. right. Well, yeah. I mean, they probably would actually have been, been. Someone would have been in jail. <laughs> yeah, someone would have been in jail. So that that's interesting. But the only reason they got the informant. It's all connected. That mm-hmm. one bank teller spreading that little, little piece comment. of gossip right. is what triggered everything, you know? So that, that how it that's interesting. Is, you know, it's this kind of little yeah. unexpected thing, this little something kind of leaks out, you know, and it makes you mm-hmm. think like, oh, maybe we're all kind of connected in some way. So, you know, obviously this ep- episode starts with Joe calling in from the Grady County Jail, talking about how he's bailed out Jeff on multiple occasions once after he allegedly, which maybe he did, beat up his ex-wife, Kathy Lowe, for, uh, which I guess she had confronted him about flaunting Lauren, who was his then-girlfriend slash mistress and currently his wife. So there's a a domestic uh, violence arrest there for Jeff. There is another arrest involving tiger possession, probably the tiger parties that we were talking about on the last episode, as well as illegally possessing some guns, presumably, in a Las Vegas rental home. And that was what Jeff was doing while Joe was running for office and while he was already technically the owner of the zoo. It seems like Las Vegas is sort of like Jeff Lowe's Shangri-La, kind of this semi-lawless or or less lawful place where he could go and he could do his tiger thing. And he directed Joe to really crank up for tiger breeding operations so that he could have these these tiger kittens and liger kittens to, to kind of parade around and his tiger party bus or his whatever. But that all falls apart. Somebody ratted him out. He gets busted. Um, ultimately, a judge orders him to surrender the animals. Like you were saying, Seamus, he's got to stay on the straight and narrow for at least a year, not get in trouble, uh, not get arrested. And that sends him back to the GW Zoo. So now Jeff comes back to the zoo after all this this is happening and he I'm finds surprised out, he could leave the state right again kind of questionable <laughs> right yeah anyway so they let him leave the state yeah you're right was that even legal i don't know he does so he's back in oklahoma back at the gw zoo 
And that's when Jeff realizes that Joe's been messing with the accounts, locked him out of uh, some bank accounts, has been cashing falsified checks for campaign swag, such as the, the Joe exotic branded condoms and all that. And that's when Jeff, in the course of trying to figure out what's going on with his accounts, hears this mention from a, from a bank clerk that says something about Joe being investigated by the feds. And so that kind of his, his tip off which this whole thing, Jeff records a confrontation with Joe, which initially, the first time I watched this, I felt was pretty authentic. But then on the second viewing and with a little bit more thought, and especially what we kind of learned later on in this episode, seems like it might have been a bit contrived. This whole confrontation with Joe about the falsified checks and, you know, where he talks about you know, why don't you just burn XYZ down like you did the alligator house? And, you know, Joe doesn't say anything, but it, it starts to seem like Jeff's wanting to get some evidence, wanting to get some stuff on tape, wanting to get some stuff on video. Wheels get, are in motion kind of right. thing. Either yeah. to give him some edge on Joe, to have some dirt on him, or like some actual hard evidence to tie him to some of these, you know, alleged crimes and wrongdoings that have been going on at the park for you know, however many years. So yeah, I don't know. What did you think? Do you feel like that was like a legitimate uh, confrontation or did it seem like an act to you? No, I, I felt like it was staged mm. for sure. Yeah. Well, I think like at first viewing, even this time around as well, you know, before you learn about like how Jeff and James, you know, have been recording everything. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, at the, well, at the end of the episode, you kind of have to think about it again. It's like, yeah, was this just more of like a CYA thing for for Jeff just to make sure he stayed out of prison and, you know, threw all kinds of accusations at him for, at Joe, for embezzlement and all that, which, yeah, that, I mean, that's highly illegal <laughs> using, using that to fund his campaign sort of thing. So, like, I think his anger, it felt legitimate at first, mm -hmm. you know? It did um, it first, right? Yeah, because I know I'd be super pissed about that too. You know, you forged my name twenty-five times, Joe. Like, you know, right? Um, but yeah, then you start to think about it differently as the episode progresses, and you're like, yeah, these are some like very particular stats that he's yelling at at Joe. Yeah, like the number of times on you June fifth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah. Hmm, and and here's like the other thing is that we know that Joe doesn't have a filter. And he gets quiet in this conversation That's because awesome. I think a light goes off in his head of, oh, this is what's going on. And that's why he just decides to pick it all up and leave because he realizes that this guy is, is in, on the, in on the thing. Like, when has Joe ever been quiet? That was the first time. And he just doesn't answer some of these questions. He doesn't rebuttal. He doesn't defend himself. So it's almost like, Maybe he already had part of this argument with Jeff before and Jeff's bringing it back up. And then you can kind of see halfway through it that like, it just, it just changes, you know? So it's almost like Joe realizes, oh, I, I see what you're doing. Well, so that but, is significant. It's the first yeah. time that Joe is quiet and seemingly offers up to just leave the park. He's like, well, I'll leave. And Jeff's like, good, leave. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big deal. I mean, that, GW Zoo, you know, Greater Winniewood, but also I think like Gerald Wayne, like it was named after his brother. It's think about what Joe has invested in this place. Granted, 
his motivations and actions over the course of owning and operating the zoo highly dubious and questionable, but obviously he was invested in it. For him to just offer up to leave and just get out and just go, he, and they do say this in this episode, Jeff either said something to really scare Joe or Joe knew how precarious his position was and was like, you know what, this is my chance to get the F out of here. Like, I'm going to skedaddle. Yeah. Um, it was probably yeah. both, in my yeah. opinion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did think it was interesting how, you know, we get that little section from Josh, Joe's uh, former campaign manager, and I guess he kind of stuck around after the campaign was over to just kind of help around uh, the zoo. You know, talks about them burning the records, like all the all the files and all the hard drives. Jeff Rinke and I think some of the other employees were talking about how uh, Joe was very quickly within like a 24 hour period selling all the quote unquote money cats, you know, getting, you know, cats that he could get between two and five grand for. So there's this huge like cover up operation, like sell the cats that you can sell, burn hard drives and documentation. He's going in there with trucks in the middle of the night. It's kind of crazy. Like it just, it really seems like something clicked for Joe where he's like, you know what? This is it. I'm out. And he hits the like emergency switch and it's just burn it, sell it, get out. Yeah. And it was, it was, there's a moment. And again, this documentary is so good at like making you feel bad for someone and then turn around. You don't feel bad for them anymore, but seeing Joe with that tiger on the ground, like it's my responsibility to make sure that he's safe and secure, you know? And in that moment you can, right. In, in that moment when he's laying on the ground playing with that tiger, you can see a glimpse of the person who originally started this, who really loves animals. Like you get a little glimpse, but then it's gone. And then he throws up right after that, which is just like such a, he just realizes that this is over and done. And that was yeah. such an interesting moment for me. Yeah, because you get, you get that little glimpse of that other person that's clearly still in there. You do. You get that glimpse of them, which it's, I'm glad you brought that scene up. So it's, you know, Joe's already left the zoo at this point. He's there with his new husband, Dylan Passage. He's got a couple uh, tiger cubs that I guess he's selling to some people that are going to possess them in what seemed like some sort of private, not zoo, but you know, a little, little cage kind of set up and, Seemed as, I don't know, it seemed kind of nice. It had some grass in some area or whatever. Um, he's playing with the animal. And you do get that. You get that kind of sympathetic Joe who truly is an animal lover. The thing that then flips it around for me was when he's like, you know, he's starting to cry. And you're like, oh man, I kind of feel bad for Joe. And then he's like, no, those damn animal rats people. And, you know, that bitch Carol Baskin. You're like, dude, you still can't let that go. And I'm like, can't okay. let it go. But then well, they, they asked him too, like who wins in this situation? Well, and at first he almost gives it up by saying like, no one does, but then he, he kind of backtracks. Yeah. 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 And well, I mean, he's probably right. Just in the, the direction that like the private zoo stuff was going is yeah. Animal rights, they have bigger funding and they're more relentless and patient and all that. So they probably will win at the end of the day. Carol has possession of the zoo now, something like that that came out recently. But yeah, what struck me as interesting when he like has to get up and leave the camera and like dry heave for a minute is, you know, not only is he realizing that like his time is over with GW Zoo, but he also might be realizing like how screwed he really is, yeah. you know, like legally. He's, he's panicking. Like, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that. That's like a str- like when like I get stress when I get super stressed out, like my stomach goes right, and that's it's always been that way, kind of thing. I've never vomited from it, but I've also never been in Joe's position where like I could be going to jail for the rest of my life, right? So I think there's part of that at play too going on where yeah. like it just all hit him at once. He's like, and he has to like bend over and dry heave, kind of thing. He has yep. a, a crack in the facade. You know, mm-hmm. the Joe Exotic act kind of fell away there. And you see, this is a human being who's, you don't have to agree with him or whatever. You don't have to, to like him or whatever, but he's, he's going through an extraordinarily stressful, tumultuous time. And his body is physically reacting to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter who you think you are or whatever, when it comes down to it, and you're in that fight or flight mode. I mean, just think about the emotional state somebody would be in after years of playing fast and loose with finances and playing fast and loose with the law and maybe having this insular bubble or definitely having this insular bubble that makes you think that you're maybe above all of that or that you're untouchable in some way. And all of that falls away. All of that starts to unravel and you realize that you're vulnerable and that you could be going to jail for the rest of your life. And that all this, all these kind of comforts that have propped you up for years and years and years are going to be stripped away from you and you're going to be put in a jail cell. If you don't have a physical reaction to that, you probably are a psychopath. So I guess on one level, this really does humanize Joe in a sense where it's like, he, he knows he's, he's in for something. Something's coming down the line and his body reacts and he yaks, you know, then it kind of pans away to back to Jeff and the, G, uh, the GW zoo and Jeff's buddy, James Garrettson, who he makes like the worst joke I've ever seen, or he's like, uh, Joe oh Exotic, the uh, Tiger God. Queen. <laughs> I'm like, oh. oh my God. You, you know, he like I thought of that to, like, like reach two days to the before. screen and punch him in the face. Like, ugh, right. guy, come on. Like, he, it's such a lame joke. He's the worst Low joke. blow. Very cringe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they have some like what seems like undercover footage from the zoo, uh, from the Netflix. Uh, documentary crew going back to the zoo which seems odd like how would the zoo employees not know exactly who the film crew is are these like different people they probably i mean here's the thing is they probably brought in two random people that had never you know they probably just pulled in hey come you know it couldn't have been anybody that had been around because they walked in as customers and they paid Mm -hmm. yep and Joe's, Joe's kind of telling the film crew, like, hey, these people are dangerous. You know, basically saying, like, Jeff Lowe and his crew, they're at the zoo now. They're dangerous. You don't know who you're, you're being involved with even filming this. And so this is kind of what you were saying, Joy, where this episode starts to kind of break that fourth wall, where the documentarians are now involved in the story, too. They're no longer just an observer, which is interesting. You know, it's like, inevitably, will this happen to Kirkham, uh, Rick Kirkham, where you know, he started off as a filmmaker, as a, as a journalist. I'm going to make this show, I'm gonna, but he got involved. And so that's the thing. It's like, you can't observe something dispassionately forever. Eventually you become part of the story. And I do think it's interesting to see the Netflix documentary crew actually becoming part of the story, coming back to the zoo in this undercover capacity. The lady working at the, the zoo desk you know, it's like, oh, yep, uh, the guy who ran the zoo for, you know, however many years, Joe, he's retired now. And, you know, so they've got this party line that they're 
Um, yeah, the new owners are super customers. awesome and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, to be fair, I mean, I appreciate that she as an employee is actually like handling it pretty well. You know, like one of my pet peeves is when an employee of an organization tells me more than I need to know as a customer. It's like, I don't need to know that you hate your boss. Like, uh, I just came here to buy something. You know what I mean? So (laughs) um, I just, I thought she actually did a good job just holding it down. But I guess that was the deal is that, you know, they're going to say Joe's retired, but word on the street is that Joe's in trouble. And this is where we finally really kind of get down to learning what Joe's really up against. It's not just falsifying checks, not just selling tiger cubs or killing tigers it's as john rinky shares you know he says it's some hearsay but there's a murder plot against carol and it's like oh maybe that's why he threw up and maybe Mm -hmm. that's why joe skedaddled because that's some serious business right and it's interesting that 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 interview with rinky like is in this like random hotel room do you know what i mean it feels like at this point the the you know, clearly the filmmakers know that the authorities are involved and are clearly like taking steps themselves. And it kind of makes you wonder like how much of this did they, like did they share all their footage? Did they turn everything over to the FBI at this point? Like what, you know, we don't get to know all of that, but I'm sure that like they were clearly aware that they need to be careful with this stuff so right because even the the questions change the tones change everything shifts at this moment right so it starts getting a little cagey mm-hmm. yep um <laughs> we hear no pun intended we hear saf mentioning that she's still kind of on team joe she's like yeah he, you know he joked about killing carol a hundred times like you know he's always joking about that but maybe he wasn't and then it comes back to jeff rinky and he's like yeah there's a lot of rats in the neighborhood and then that's when it starts diving back into uh, Jeff Lowe, um, James, and then Alan, uh, you know, Jeff's crew and how they're all kind of sketchy characters. They've all got criminal backgrounds. They would have a motivation for wanting to maybe make a deal of some sort to cover their own asses and to throw Joe under the bus. One of the things that they never really mentioned I don't think they mentioned this at all, actually, in the Netflix series, is that Jeff, like years before all this, wanted to open a big cat breeding facility in South Carolina. And what stopped him from doing that was a complaint from, lo and behold, Carol Baskin. And during the course of that confrontation, Jeff definitely threatened to kill Carol too. And I think that they don't talk about that, but that was that was part of what made Jeff and Joe actually kindred spirits initially. They really did both have it out for Carol because she had, in their minds at least, and in, in some legitimate way, kind of screwed him over, like was affecting their ability to run businesses that they wanted to run, which were unethical, but, you know, lawful, according to the current state of law. So they didn't mention that. I did think that, that was like a, an interesting little thing that I heard in a separate interview that Jeff had this prior incident with Carol that he had himself threatened her. So it kind of just makes his slightly sanctimonious holier than thou attitude about this whole thing. Like he, you can really see that Jeff is trying to make it like, yep, Joe's crazy. He's saying all this stuff. He's the one that was getting into it with Carol. And it's like, 
No, dude. Jeff even said in this episode in an interview segment that the big cat world would be better if Carol weren't alive go. or something like that. Right, like he exactly. made his feelings yeah. pretty clear about how he felt about Carol in general. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. So he definitely was right there with Joe, but seeing the writing on the wall and being a more smooth operator than Joe starts to kind of pull back from that and kind of start to build up a case that no, 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 it's not me. I'm not the one that's, you know, doing all this stuff. It's Joe. And then obviously that's when we start to learn about some of the more legitimate plans to take Carol out while she's riding her bike. There's some social media footage that Carol had shared with their followers of her riding to the big cat rescue facility in Tampa, Florida from her house. And I guess she was taking her bike through a, a greenway or a bike trail of some sort. And Joe kind of latches onto that as that's the opportunity to take Carol out. We're going to get her while she's riding her bike. He thinks that Jeff's friend, Alan, uh, Alan Glover's going to be the man to do it. Cause he's got the teardrop tattoo. That means he's a murderer. Alan being a ex felon or I guess current felon, Ex-con. He doesn't want to drive down to Tampa with a gun because obviously like what uh, we were talking about before Seamus, that's illegal in and of itself. Uh, So the plan is to do her in with a knife. So we kind of get this, this kind of mapping out of Joe's initial murder plot, if you will. He's going to pay Alan to do it. It's going to be a knife and he's going to drive down to Tampa to take Carol out. I don't know. seems like a pretty cockamamie plan, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it also actually since Alan serious. and Joe hated themselves hated each other right like they never right. got along so why would right. Joe this is what I've thought like this entire episode and they get you know they talk about it more and more and it seems like eventually the whole murder for hire case hinges on whether or not Joe gave Alan money and Alan just says he did right yep. like yeah. where's the money where's the proof of all that kind of thing those two hated each other from the onset Alan is an ex-con like why would a jury believe him at this point this is like all stuff that I was thinking about I mean they went after Joe for violating the Endangered Species Act and killing animals unlawfully and all that but which he absolutely did I mean there's yeah yeah yeah. he admitted it in this episode you know he's like well you either got to use a dart or a gun so the yeah the whole like why the the law as it were you know the justice system thought to trust you know three criminals in this initial investigation always perplexed me well i think it's the order that they come in because it's i think it would be different if all three of them came together i think that it was interesting that what's his name the guy with the lemur um the walking chucky doll Prince the Valiant. walking Chucky doll. Yeah. So, James. you know, yeah, James Garrison. he, he got in trouble while Jeff was in Vegas. Right. So we have to think of that timeline and he was trying to like save his butt from prior to that. And then he's the one that, and, and the thing is like, it's very, you know, like they said in this thing, Joe's been saying he's been wanting to kill Carol forever. And he said it so many times, but no one ever took him seriously. So, but an uh, an agent coming in on this doesn't have the benefit of that whole backstory of this person's been saying this for like five years and whatever, right? So they're only getting that piece. And then it's interesting because as soon as he figures out the reason that they didn't 
arrest Joe is because there wasn't a money trail, then all of a sudden, magically, this money trail comes in from his two good pals. And that the, even the phone call they played, you know, Jeff was very spelling leading in that out. conversation, yeah. spelling it out. And well, like, Alan basically, even said, it's not about the money. It's about fucking Joe over. That's how the right. conversation ends. So exactly. like when that happened, I was like, why did the, how did this like hold up to for an indictment? Because they didn't have the the benefit of all this backstory that right. that we've gotten there, and they're getting it in like, oh, my friend is now willing to come in as an inform. You know what I mean? It's not like these three guys came together; they came piece by piece. To but yeah, there's a lot of Joe's not innocent by any means. He's you know done some horrible stuff, but did he actually like pay someone to go kill Carol? I don't think so. I will say I love that Jeff and James met at an Applebee's to like plot their takedown oh, of yeah. Joe. That's great. Incredible. Great. Yeah, it always reminds me of that. Um, any, I feel like every time somebody talks about Applebee's, <laughs> I think of that movie Hall Pass where they're like, they're finally, you know, they get their hall pass from their wives. I mean, obviously that's the whole like theme of the movie. They get like to just kind of go do whatever they want to do for a period of time. And they're like, let's go stuff our faces with some meat at Applebee's or something like that. Was like <laughs> the first thing they did on their hall pass was go to Applebee's. So I just kind of felt like this yeah. was just that, that just reminded me of this. So just the image of Jeff and James like gonna do some serious business. Where are we gonna go? Applebee's, obviously. Applebee's. So it seems like one of the things that escalated this, kind of going back to your point, Joy, is when James Garrettson texts Carol and is like, Hey, I've got I've got some information. And Howard, uh, Carol's husband, likely did the right thing where he's like, I'm not going to touch this. Fishing game, federal agents, here you go. <laughs> so then James quickly gets a call from them and they're like, uh, hey man, like you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. You got to start uh, talking, otherwise we're going to take you down. So James Garrettson flips at that point. The other thing that I love is the scene when they're like, the documentarians are like, so what do you think about, you know, uh, so-and-so working with the feds and it's the interview with John Finley and he just sits there and he's like, what? Yeah. yeah. He's like quiet. And then he goes, that's news to me. And you're just like, Oh no. The look no on idea. his face. Yeah. yeah. That was very, yeah. that was because then in his reaction. mind, he's thinking about all the things that he has said and done in front of this guy. And you can yeah. just see his mind going. All the pieces falling into place. Like, right. Yeah. The dots are all connecting. You're like, Whoa, that was a great, that was a great, that was a great moment. Yeah. Best. Old John Finley just plays it so well. That's news to me. And you're just like, yep. oh man, he probably can't wait to go talk to you know some of his old friends from the zoo. So yeah, so James told the FBI that there's this plot to kill Carol, that Alan uh, Glover was involved. We get federal prosecutor Amanda Green on the case. Man, I saw Amanda Green and I was like, she needs her own TV show. Like give that woman a reality <laughs> TV show. I, I want to watch her take down the bad guys all the like, time. Yeah. Prosecuted and like, she's just <laughs> taking them out. Like she seemed like a total badass. So yeah, I loved her. I want more Amanda Green, Netflix, get on it. Season two, uh, Tiger King maybe. So the feds are, are working on this now. Things are certainly escalated. Carol and Howard go to the mattresses, uh, mattresses which is to say they're putting in security cameras and they're they're getting locked and loaded with guns and they're putting up fences. But even with all that, there's some sort of confrontation. Uh, I don't know if it's like a gas station or, or where it was. 
somebody approaches Carol and, and kind of chases her. I'd heard in a separate interview, it seemed like she might've even been on her bike because she's like, I'm just going to go as fast as I can. So it seems like somebody actually did chase her or threaten her or something happened. Now, it could have been that she was just, you know, maybe there's an attempted robbery just randomly at this time. And it just so happened to coincide with these events because it's never explained who or what might have been behind that. And if she's also hyper alert, you know, well, she mentions being in fight or flight mode. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. And, and also talks I will about tell almost, you. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, she just says like she almost like uh, shoots the neighbor's dog. Uh, yeah. Because she's out of working in the house. Yeah. And I will tell you as a female, we're already on, you know, anytime I, I'm alone with a man in an elevator, freaks me out. Anytime a man's walking behind me on the street, don't like it. You know, as a, we're already in a, a heightened place all the time. So you add on that, that there's like this guy that like really wants you dead or multiple people that want you dead. Yeah, of course. You're going to take anything as like, like she said, oh my gosh, is this like close? Is he going to kill me? Is this the person that's coming to kill me? Right. Yeah. And she's, and she's up to speed on all the gory details. Like she knows Mm -hmm. that they want to chloroform her and chop up her body and throw her in the swamp. And it's just like, man, that's devastating to hear her. It's harsh. have to say that, you know, Yeah. nobody should have to hear that from somebody and especially even you know i guess it would be one thing if it seemed like it was a joke but we're well past that point at at this stage there's legitimate threats so that's crazy just to kind of see what uh howard and carol are going through during this time and there's this incident which they never really fully explain like who or who was threatening her or, or if that had anything to do with joe they kind of just throw that out there and then leave it i do love that alan glover if he did get any money from Joe, he just blew it on Coke and strippers and never, never made it to Tampa. He just parties instead. Just runs. And where have I heard about that combination before? Hookers and blow. I don't know. Like, <laughs> any movie ever, I guess. <laughs> I do. I can see Alan just being like, sweet. Joe's going to give me some money to go party. All right. But here's the thing. But so yeah, here's so you're the thing we got to think about. Happened. Did Joe even give him money? So here's the thing. So why did he not go? Like what made him stop? So if Joe did give him the money and then he just decided maybe one night he just decided to stop somewhere on the road and there happened to be a strip club and then there was drugs and then he just blew too much of the money and realized I need to turn around, just go home. I'm out of here. Right. Like that makes sense. But if Joe really didn't give him the money, you know, we don't know that he ended up at a strip club and did a bunch of drugs. Like he says that, right? right. Like we don't You're actually. Not have like receipts or something. Like here's the lap dance and here's the bag of coke I right. bought to prove yeah. that I was here then. Right. Like all that we know is that he just wasn't around. No one was able to reach him on his phone. And, you know, you have to have a certain you know, there, there has to be certain things that you would need to get a warrant to track his phone. And clearly the government didn't have it because they were asking the other guy to keep calling him and find out where he was. So like, we really don't know. He could have been just, you know, he could have gone to Vegas. We don't, we don't know where he was during that time. So it's very, it's all very suspicious. I I always have that, you know, as to, yeah, why are we, taking this guy at his word like there's so many right holes in it to 
you know, he can't really prove a lot of stuff that he's saying. You know, he says, right. oh, yeah, the feds brought me in three times just to make sure my story was, story was accurate. Straight. But, right. you know, like there's no there's no paper trail or anything like that. Right. And it's 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 probably easier to to lie when you know you're lying to save your own ass. Right. Like so. And yeah, what we do know is that there is that situation where James set Joe up, presumably wearing a wire or whatever, with an undercover agent posing to be a hitman. They yep. talk about how they're going to take Carol out. And when push came to shove, Joe doesn't pay the guy. Right. And disappears. So Joe's at least willing to engage in what seems like serious conversation, but it seems like there is something holding him back from actually getting the, the burner phones, which was, was part of the, you know, part of the plan or actually paying the agent money. Cause had he done that, like James Garrison says, had he given a $5 down payment, that would have been enough. They would have come in, boom, they would have taken Joe right then and there. Yeah. I don't think that it was talked about in this documentary, but again, this is something in, in separate interviews that I heard that there's another instance where Joe had hired somebody to work at the park. And when he found out that this um, new employee's husband was a former uh, firearm instructor uh, in the military, he hired him to be a director of security. And then at some point, you know, within the first couple of weeks of his employment is like, you know, Hey, do you know about Carol? And he's like, yeah. Hey, could you take care of that? And the guy's like, uh, hell no. So it didn't does, they talk about that in this episode? Was that the same guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. They meant, they, it, was, okay. it was very briefly at the beginning. It, yeah, mm -hmm. it like precedes all this stuff where like it was almost as though he was the first guy approached. Mm. Yeah. You know? So Joe's definitely had these conversations. Yeah. But it also seems like he's not really fully gone all the way. So there's still that, that kind of question there. Um, and what we learn is unless you have that actual changing of monies, you don't have a case. But yeah. Like we were saying before, that's where Alan and his Alan Glover and his testimony comes in because presumably, yeah. at least according to Alan and Jeff and James, they have their own motivations. Joe did pay him, I don't know, three grand or something like that, with a promise of another couple thousand dollars when the job was done. Yeah, Never and happened. we we know that Joe has this perception of himself in this way, and so you could see him if someone were to engage him in a conversation of course he's going to engage in it because it makes right. him feel like this strong, powerful person that can like go put a hit on somebody. Because when you look at movies, like these mobsters and things like that, like they're always like these, you know, big characters and can get away with stuff because they're the boss and all this stuff. So it makes sense that he wouldn't actually follow through with like paying anything because it's just like this idea of himself. Right. So yeah. It also reminds me of like a little kid who's kind of caught in a lie where it's like, right. you, you know, it's like a little kid. I mean, here's a story from my past. I remember like way, way, way back in the day in like elementary school, I lied about having, I think it was either like a Game Boy or a Super Nintendo or something like that. And um, a friend of mine actually let me borrow, I think he let me borrow his Super Nintendo maybe or something, some, something happened where somebody let me borrow their video game system. But because I had been lying to somebody else about owning said system and not that I had just borrowed it, they're like, oh, can I borrow it? I was like, uh -huh. yeah. And so I re-borrowed out somebody else's video game system. And like Joe, I totally got busted for it. It was in a huge amount of trouble oh, when the whole house of cards fell down. But it totally reminds me of that, of just being like a little kid caught in a lie. 
And I yeah. think in this case, Joe's lie was, I'm this big tough guy. You hear him say it multiple times on his Joe Exotic TV segments. I'm the most dangerous big cat owner in the world. Carol, you're going to draw your last breath before, you know, I've been put away. So yeah. he created this narrative and repeated this thing so many times that I think like what you're saying, Joy, is that if you were to engage him on this, he's almost kind of painting himself into a corner where he's going to have to like back up his oft repeated words like, oh yeah, I'm definitely, yeah. Oh, you can take out Carol. Oh yeah. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. The same way that, you know, I would, I kind of had that oh shit feeling when I was a kid. I'm like, oh shit, I don't, act, this actually isn't mine. You know, so, so maybe that was part of it. You know, maybe this was part Keeping of the, up act, the persona. Part of facade. Yeah. The Joe exotic, yeah. big, tough guy. Oh yeah. I'll take her out. I'll shoot her, you know, but it's, he's just shooting a blow up doll or, you know, so he, he's talking this big game and getting some of the benefits without actually having to, to do the deed itself. And when push came to shove, it seemed like he would get cold feet. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Maybe, yeah, maybe he never gave Alan the money. It does seem, however, that there's some pictures of Carol or some like burner phones or something like that, that had been like transferred. And that's what created the grounds for an actual indictment. And then they're looking at Joe's social media posting after he's gone on the lamb and people think that he's in Belize, but then Detective James Gerritsen uh, is like, that's the Florida Panhandle. Uh, Gulf Breeze, Florida, in fact. So the cops- That's Florida water. That's Florida water. <laughs> I know me some Florida water. Maybe jet skis in that water. That's, uh, yeah, right. That's but how does he know the water. waters of Belize don't look the same? <laughs> right. He knows, he he knows his plant panhandle like the back of his handle. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like how- Anyway, James Garrison, he's a creepy dude. Maybe he's got some, uh, you know, strong ocean identification skills uh, in his <laughs> toolkit. So presumably the cops pull an extraction and uh, nab Joe. I do think it's interesting. This is one of the few areas of the documentary where they actually did like a reenactment. Yeah, I think it might be the only time, right? As far as yeah. I'm aware. Where they had their fake Joe exotic getting busted right. by the cops. Yep. I don't know. It seemed kind of corny and maybe not really like super necessary. I don't know. Yeah. They might be like, oh, we need some B-roll or some footage while Dylan reads this letter just to give it a little bit more impact so that you they try and make you feel bad for Joe again almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But honestly, it didn't make me feel bad for no. Joe at all. No. And no. like this whole thing about like, I've been stripped of my dignity. Welcome to the world. Like, <laughs> listen, bud. Uh you belong in jail. You've done some really shitty things. And, and there's a lot of people in jail that don't belong in jail. They get treated this way too. So don't cry me a river. That's all I'm saying. Nobody's <laughs> entitled to anything. Nobody's exempt from anything. Yeah. I did think that that jailhouse love letter to Dylan was so sappy. Although it seemed like it was effective, at least, I don't know, maybe Dylan's a great actor, but it did seem like he was kind of getting choked up reading it. And he's like, I don't I mean if man. you look on Dylan's Instagram today he's still with I Joe and yeah. is all about it and supposedly loves him so who knows Maybe Maybe I do like how they Is that when they had like oh no that, it was earlier in the episode where they had Joe's music video is his like goodbye music video like I did goodbye like how to they his would, fans yeah Yeah I liked how they would intersperse some of the Joe exotic um <laughs> country ballads mm-hmm. not written or recorded by Joe kind of strategically placed throughout the documentary. That's some B-roll I can get behind. Mm-hmm. So obviously Joe's busted. He's behind bars, awaiting trial. 
Carol's sharing the good news with her fans. The local news agents or uh, agencies are picking up the story. You, know, you hear a reporter talking about how Joe Exotic makes good TV. He's like a train wreck. He can't look away. You can't get him to stop talking. So you hear some of his, his kind of jailhouse interviews where it seems like they're kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. And I guess he probably had these relationships from his campaigns, uh, from the presidential sure. and governor's campaign. So I'm sure they're interested in talking to him. If you think about it from like a local news perspective, I mean, if you had a local politician, for lack of a better word, slash business owner, who, which I guess was the big catch of the very first episode of Tiger King, is indicted on a murder for hire plot. That's news. So kind of can't blame the the news from from running with this. At this point, it doesn't seem like they're really taking any side though, and they're just kind of giving him an opportunity to tell his story. Yeah. Well, it's, local, it's in- local news versus like the big news corporation kind of thing. So right. there's not, in my opinion, I should say, there's not as much of an agenda to like really sensationalize it. It's just like, this is what's happening in your backyard. Like I always found that local news is more objective than the national stage kind of thing. And it's a smaller, smaller stage versus a bigger one too. So there is that as well. Mm-hmm. There is. So two parts. The thing about local news is interesting complete like side tangent there's been instances where local news channels are reporting the exact same thing like verbatim yeah we're like they're uh, getting from yeah like the big corporations so that's something interesting yeah. but no this would be a local thing so totally different the other thing that i found really interesting that they showed that i thought was like it was kind of another one of those moments is you you see carol and she's like showing um, telling her fans this and then you start to see all the comments come in right and it's just like really awful stuff about joe rightfully so they're all fans of her and he's now been uh-huh. officially charged with trying to kill her and you just see all of that hate and vitriol and like all of that come in and it's just interesting because right now in our culture it's it's very much someone says that's it you know and it's just and it's um the digital lynch mob is getting their pitchforks and firing up their torches you know right Right. yeah exactly and that's a whole other side conversation it'd be interesting to have sometime but if there was um, like a movie about facebook like something about a social network or something i don't know maybe netflix (laughs) can make that at some point right stephen fincher to direct it that'd be great um (laughs) stephen fincher (laughs) I, that's his, uh, David Fincher's brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, what was it that the Simpsons did where like we got the Mexican version of Steven Spielberg and it's like Stefan Spielberg or something? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's who's gonna this is our... why we should do some Black Mirror stuff too. Yeah, that's going to make point. our social network yeah, yeah. Uh, movie um, to get into all this <laughs> stuff. So yeah, back at the park. Jeff Lowe's ready for his fresh start. They're going to go get some property down in Thackerville by the casino. Sounds pretty cool. I don't know if anything ever comes of it, if they ever made it happen. I guess we'll find out. And then in true Tiger King fashion, I feel like this wasn't actually the strongest close. You know, they've, they've had some real curveballs to throw at every point up until then. And this one is just Joe saying, let me show and tell the whole thing. And then you'll say, Jesus fucking Christ, why are you in jail? And then that's it. So presumably Joe's going to show and tell the whole thing next episode. He's going to say his piece. Maybe he's going to uh, try to defend himself in court when he probably would be better off not saying anything. 
Yeah. No he puts his foot his, in his mountains mouth. of evidence that he has that he right, didn't right. burn. Right. He's got the goods on somebody somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that this episode was really kind of the final axe falling on Joe, him ultimately separating from the zoo, getting arrested. Really, at this point, nobody's in Joe's camp except for a few employees, maybe like Saf and Dylan Passage. Um, so he's really kind of burned all of his bridges, I guess is the is the point here. He's burned all of his bridges. You know, he's been taken down and we're going to see kind of the final aftermath in the final episode of Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. So episode seven, episode six, thumbs up, thumbs down, no thumbs. We had a bit of a contentious vote last time. Uh, thumbs up. I love this episode. I, like I said at the beginning, I like how it was presented. Um, I like that you get all the the phone footage and you get to listen into phone calls and you get to kind of get that that breaking that third wall. You get to get all of the goods and figure out how it all kind of came together. And then, of course, it just leads to like way more questions, which is just fascinating to think about. So, yeah, this was a great a great episode. Probably one of my favorite episodes, just just in the way that it was structured and it revealed uh, what was going on, I thought was really well done. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree with that. It um, the the way they told it and layered everything together, and it's like, and then it was very narrative kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, previous episodes where it's you know one crazy thing and then one random other crazy thing, and now we're going to tie it together with a separate crazy thing. You know. I, I said a couple of times that, you know, it's a plane crash into a train that's going off a cliff um, kind of thing. But this was just like, okay, now we're going to tell you the story about how we took Joe down from the the shady threesome <laughs> working as informants and stuff like that. And yeah, the questions that I brought up is like, why why is law enforcement believing these three with criminal pasts? when at least within the episode it was never revealed that there was concrete proof for the the murder for hire plot like they they revealed that's where like doc antle came in for like five seconds uh in this episode i forgot all about him almost and said they had to like bring up these you know violations of endangered species act to make everything else stick which he admitted to like joe admitted to on camera it's like yeah the only way to euthanize them is with a dart or a gun so he wasn't really shying away from that kind of thing, but mm -hmm. the murder for hire, it just, it leaves me questions. Like why, why were these three believed overall without what we've seen anyway, no concrete proof. Yeah. And I mean, I guess uh, this is probably a conversation that we'll have, um, you know, for the final episode uh, when we talk about it, but I mean, it's entirely possible that Joe had a bit of a bullseye on his back through his political campaigns, um, being such a presence in the community, um, not necessarily a positive one. I'm sure there is police involvement at various times for things going on in the zoo. You know, there's all the stuff that he was doing online and prior complaints from Carol. So it's entirely possible that Joe was, of all of these people involved, uh, someone who just kind of had a target on his back. And maybe somebody had a bit of an ax to grind, you know, for a number of reasons. And perhaps that's why they decided to go after him versus Jeff Lowe or James Garrettson or, you know, Glover or any of these other uh, guys that seem to be pretty dirty and involved as well. But I guess that's the thing where 
if you're kind of the first person to flip, well, then you're the one that is now working for the government and with them versus the person who's still on the lam or not. So could have been some circumstances there that influenced it, but maybe we'll find a little bit more, find out a little bit more in the next episode. Uh, when it's all said and done though, I mean, this definitely was an interesting one. I liked it. It was a little bit less heavy than some of the past two that we've watched. Thank God, like we weren't subjected to like what we were in the last episode and the one before that. So I appreciated that this was a little bit more procedural, that it was uh, tying up some loose ends and connecting some dots. It kind of felt like like what you're describing, Seamus, with like prior episodes was one of those boards, like a big cork board, and they're putting up a picture here, and they're putting up a, you know, a phone call here, and they're putting up a text message here, and now we kind of get those little, you know, pieces of yarn and string kind of connecting everything. So um, it was it was a satisfying episode in that regard, and yeah, thumbs up for me. I mean, I was into it, and I'm certainly interested in see where this all lands uh, for the final shot. And until then. Thank you all for listening. This is Netflix and podcast. We'll see you next time. Just a quick final note. If you like this episode, if you want to hear more Netflix and podcast coverage of Netflix originals, let us know what you think by sending us an email at Netflix and podcast show at gmail.com. That's Netflix and A and D podcast show at gmail.com.